Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 16, Dr. Prajir, Dr. Bashir, I presume. Wow, I can't talk much. Uh, you can find this on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely. You can find us and follow us. Um, all those places where you do your social media and, of course, you know, Facebook probably being the most uh, dominant one right now for us. And anywhere that you ever listen to podcasts, I do it on Spotify. I like check in, make sure our dulcet tones aren't blowing at anybody's car speakers. Um, tonight we are talking about Dr. Bashir um, and this um, nice little bottle episode. We kind of get back to the bottle episode uh, motif here with uh, Deep Space Nine after everything that we've just seen um, giving us some, you know, real kick from the Dominion. Now we're kind of trading off, going back into Starfleet here. Um, but before we do any of that, David, how was your week? It's been good. Uh, so last week I was not here. I was at a men's retreat uh, from church, and that was fun. Got to hang out with guys and uh, enjoy spending time with them. Um I was last weekend, uh, finished reading Catch-22, which uh, you said you'd read it, and man, mm-hmm. we were reading it, it's it's really good. I mean, it's it's a dark comedy, but man, it's a really good dark comedy for what it is. Uh, I started watching the Hulu show version, which has George Clooney in it. Um, okay. It's a six-episode version, and unfortunately, it's not nearly as good as the book, because the book really specializes in absurdist humor. The whole point, just for a summary for everyone, is the catch-22 is that only insane people would keep flying planes into Nazi Germany and being shot at, but only sane people are allowed to fly planes. But if you're insane and you fly planes, then you're supposed to be allowed let, let out of the military but anyone who claims that I don't want to fly these missions is obviously sane, and therefore he's allowed to fly missions. So it's the catch-22 is you can't get out. And it's it's a great absurdist humor book. It's about the horrors of war. I mean, the some of the climactic scenes at the end of the book are, like, it strips away the humor and goes straight into just, you know, horrors of war, how terrible life is, and um, pulls away the curtain for a bit. And the show, unfortunately, is just they—they they, they can't. They're, they're trying too hard to like draw out the story, and so they lose the absurdist humor, which is interesting because George Clooney likes playing absurdist characters. He likes being in comedies and playing up the absurdist angle. And the character he plays is only in the book for a short time, so he's only in the show in the first episode so far. And he is an absurdist character. But the rest of the show is really fails to hit that appropriately, okay. which is unfortunate because uh, the book is really good. 
I haven't seen the original movie, but I have been watching clips on YouTube, and it definitely seems like the original film definitely got that absurdist humor correct. So I do plan on watching the original film at some point. But yeah, Catch-22, if you want to read a dark humor, a book about some dark humor in World War II, boom. Um, I also read Slaughterhouse-Five, which is kind of a similar, you know, absurdist humor set in World War II. Instead of it being about the guys doing the bombing, it's about there's a guy, one of the main characters, who experiences some of the aftermath of that bombing, the Dresden um, bombings to be, to be specific. Um, the bombing of Dresden, which killed like 140,000 people in one night. So he was there, the, the, the character is there for that and experiences of it. But it's also got an absurdist humor angle, but it's much shorter than Catch-22. So I read that real quickly. Um, so yeah, that's been me. How about you? Well, um, I kind of got caught up into the, um, anti-Halo campaign this week. So, um, <laughs> as a lot of you are aware, you know, uh, Paramount has, you know, greenlit and subsequently been producing a show called Halo, which is supposedly based off of the video game of the same name, um, released, what? 20 years ago, something like that, you know, um, very popular game. I'm sure there's plenty of people who've played it. You've read the uh, various books, the comic books, the, there's just all kinds of stuff out about the game and the game actually continues there. I, I, from what I understand, there is going to be yet another video game in the Halo franchise uh, relatively soon. So there's a lot of lore to base a live action show off of. I did start watching the first season. I did not make it through the first season because in my opinion it was well terrible. It was awful. It was it it was not Halo. I mean it was I mean, they could have called that anything else. They could have done any other sci-fi show and and been fine. But the fact that they were calling it Halo and using certain certain character names and whatever else to pass off that garbage to us was an insult to say the least. And um, you know, but of course they just plodded along and it's already, you know, releasing uh, the actually the first episode of season two, I think aired either yesterday or the day before. And, um, you know, the reason I got caught up in this whole campaign about it was because they there was all these articles out about how groundbreaking the show was and how wonderful the season is. And if you love season two, well, hold on to your pants because or if you love season one, season two is going to, you know, knock your socks off all this stuff. Right. And then um, there was an article that came out in particular that really caught my attention, that really got me into this. And it was uh, the article was titled. You don't have to be a Halo fan to enjoy Halo. And so I read the article, and really it could have been uh, summarized as basically saying, please don't be a Halo fan, then you can enjoy Halo. Because if you know anything about the game whatsoever, if you've paid any attention to it at all, that is an insult to everything that you know about that franchise. And I'm just absolutely not going to try to pander to it at all. I like to try to sometimes like find certain aspects of the show that uh, of any show that you can like. And, and I mean, there's a lot of shows out there that people have told me before have been absolutely terrible and I have watched them. And while I can see why they wouldn't like it again, I have found things that can be redeemable about the show. I can't in this one. I absolutely can't. They have right. totally destroyed the, the storyline. It's, it's not even like 
loosely based. They just like, again, they took certain names of certain things and stuck them in while they wrote their own narrative. And if they had just wanted to do a sci-fi show, that would have been perfectly fine. But the fact is they keep trying to jam down our throats this whole thing about how it's it's Halo, it's this game, that's the Master Chief. That It's not. It's absolutely not. And I refuse to accept it at all. And so I'm like, I got into this whole campaign about how this is not Halo. Call it anything else, but don't call it Halo. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I spent a whole lot of time on that. Um, way more than probably I, I should have, to be honest. But, you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know me. Sometimes I get hyper fixated on things. And this became my thing this past weekend. Um, or, yeah, this, really this past week. Um, I just don't understand why they would do it. It's it's trash. I'm not even... I never finished the first season. I have no intention of finishing the first season. And I'm certainly not even going to pander into the whole, well, let's see what they do on the second season and give it a shot. No, I'm not going to do it. You know? Um, I, I have let my love of other things carry me forward on other shows that were seemingly garbage to get to that next part like for example star trek picard uh the first season of that show was arguably the worst season and um the only thing that kept me going was my love of trek overall my love of halo is not working here it's 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 the other way around it's like i i love what came before so much i'm not going to keep watching this terrible right it's not even it's not even that it's it's a completely different thing i mean i would i would almost be halfway accepting of a bastardization of of the halo lore and everything else but this is not that and it's and it goes far beyond because some things that people pointed out as like major critiques of the show are you know like there's some there is some gender swapping and there's some race swapping and there's some those things don't bother me they've never bothered me in any of the shows that i've ever watched i that's never been a problem for me if the character comes across well um whatever it is i'm fine with it heck a lot of times I wouldn't even know there was a problem until someone pointed it out to me or whatever, you know, but um, again, those things are not issues for me. Um, it is simply that it is in no way based off of any of the lore that was established beforehand. That's like someone saying they're going to do a Lord of the Rings movie. And while they named their characters Gandalf and Bilbo and Frodo, they, I don't know, made the movie about uh, capitalism and how they had offices on Wall Street. That's the same thing. That's how I would equate this. So that's what you're watching. Oh, it's Lord of the Rings, but um, he's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He's got a high-rise apartment in Manhattan. That's not Lord of the Rings. That's that's not. Yes, yeah. his name's Frodo, but that's not Lord of the Rings. Right. Okay, that's what I'm saying. That's what that's what this would be the equivalent of them doing. So I'm not intending on watching it. And I'm not going to let anybody sit there and try to tell me, oh, this is a great show. It's a great show if you know absolutely nothing about Halo. So yes, if you know nothing about Halo, go watch it. Go enjoy it. But for all the rest of us fans who played the games, who read the books, who did the comic books, who did all the oh, what. You're never going to enjoy that show. Never. And they're not making it for you. So go find something else to watch. There. I just saved you. Let's see. There's 10 episodes. So I've just saved you 10 hours. 20 hours. You're not going to have to. 20, really. Yeah. (laughs) Don't watch season one either. I just saved you. And whatever number of of seasons they end up doing on that garbage, I just saved you your time. Don't, Don't waste your time. Um other than that, the week, week's gone well. <laughs> um, things have been pretty good. All moved um, in, 100%. Good. 
feeling we are, at home. We are moved in. Not quite, because there's still a lot of things that need to be moved around. And as you can kind of sort of see in here, I haven't done any um, decorating, hanging up of things and pictures and whatever. I haven't done any of right. that yet. Um, I unfortunately did have to take a break from um, uh, workouts and everything, but part of that was because of the move. Part of it was because I um, really hurt myself. And um, I actually have an appointment coming up to see if I uh, may have a hernia, which if I do, I will have to have that um, surgically repaired. So hopefully I don't. I had a hernia once. I don't know what you're feeling. Oh. And I'm wondering if I uh, might have <laughs> pulled my stitches, if you will, or what yeah. the fix was. It was 10 years ago I had it done, but I was playing volleyball last weekend. And I'm like, hmm. Thinks yeah. things aren't in the same place they were. <laughs> yeah. So. so, with me wanting to do the strongman competitions and the workouts and everything else, it's very important that um, I get this evaluated. Now, the crazy thing is, like, I there's an equal, in my opinion, there's an equal chance that it was just that I was overworking myself. I was obviously still working my job. I was doing workouts. We were moving. There was a lot of stuff going on. I had very little downtime for rest. And if you are into any kind of physical athleticism, whatever, you know, rest is very, very important. And I had significantly less of that than I should have. And I think that it just kind of led to some like severe muscle strain because right. once I became aware of the potential of the problem, I just stopped doing everything else. I really just focused on just doing my job and taking care of my kid, of course, but then there was no lifting. There was nothing. Thankfully all the stuff for the move was finished, but then I just, I just stopped doing everything else and really just focused on like light stretching, cardio, uh, easy cardio and like walking around everything else. And the pain did lessen significantly. Um, and now it's been about a week or so. Um, I still get some twinges here and there, but it's not nearly as significant as it was in those first few days when I noticed, but it's still a good idea, especially considering what I want to do to go and get checked out. So that's why I'm going to the doctor. Uh, my appointment is, um, Thursday, I think, and, uh, and getting that looked at and hopefully it isn't anything serious. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of been how I've spent uh, my week. And um, hopefully, when we come back next week, I'll be able to say, hey, things are fine. Um, in other news, before we jump into our episode, do want to say special shout out to our contest winner, Vincent, who um, we successfully completed the delivery of his gift just Yay. this last week. So Great. he got it. I got the notification about the delivery, the successful delivery and all that kind of stuff. I was hoping he would have popped up in here by now, but hey, we got time. So, um, but again, congratulations being the first winner of any of our contests. Um, and we'll have more to come later on down the road. Not sure when, but we will. Um, I do also want to address the lateness in which the last episode came out. We ran into some technical difficulties on our hosting site for all the podcast episodes. So, um, in fact, I, not only was I not able to post the episode, but if you went looking for our show on certain platforms, you wouldn't have been able to find it for like 48 hours. It was like oh. everything was gone. And oh. don't worry, there was ample panic on my side. Don't worry. But You've done all I the got it. It's been yes, done. <laughs> I got it fixed. I got it fixed. So there was a there was a slight delay, but I got it fixed, and that means unfortunately right. there will be a delay in the release of our first contact episode because everything was scheduled. So because everything basically went 
poof. Um, mm. Putting everything back has been kind of slow going. Right. Um, the show is there entirely, but all the new stuff that I had had saved for time release and everything else, that was gone. Not a gotcha. big deal. I've got all the stuff, so it's just kind of re-uploading whatever, but it is going to take a little bit of time. So, yeah, there's going to be about a week delay on that. Actually, no, it'll be a two-day delay. So it'll come out tomorrow. For those of you who are live, you'll get it tomorrow. Anybody else, you'll get it like within like uh, like Monday. So gotcha. there you go. Um, after that, and after this episode, of course, we have to do our After Dark for uh, The Expanse, um, the fifth book in The Expanse series. We will finally um, be ready for that. So if you are interested at all in following along, and if you have been following along, just know that's coming up in the next week. Um, or no, it'll be the week after this. That's what that is. Yeah. Because we're on the delay. Anyway, it's coming. That's what you should know. It's coming. Right. You've got some time to finish. If you haven't finished reading it yet, you've got some time. If you um, want to get caught up fairly quickly, I know it's available in audiobook form on a lot of platforms. I know Spotify has it. Amazon Books has it. <clears throat> and I think the Apple Store has it as well. Not 100% on that one. But um, my brother-in-law has uh, been listening to the audiobooks, and apparently you can consume them fairly quickly when you do the audiobook format. You know, um, I bet. Yeah, he told me he was like ten, nine or ten chapters in before uh, you know he realized he was you know that far along. You know, mm-hmm. so um, they go pretty quick. So yeah. you can still get caught up and be with you us. Better not beat do. us to the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Just stay with us book by book. Don't go yeah. to the whatever. Just stay with us book by book. We're yeah. we're clipping along pretty pretty quickly on our own. Yep. But we're not here to talk about all of those things. Um, I mean, I guess we are, but later. Um, we are here to talk about Doctor Bashir tonight. Um, so, David, would you like to give us the the cliff notes? I can before do we it. Dive in. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. So again, this is Dr. Bashir, I presume, seeing as how I can say that correctly this time. All right. uh, So this episode is uh, we're on Deep Space Nine, obviously, and the hologram engineer, Louis Zimmerman, who most people will recognize as the uh, holographic program uh, on the Voyager show, which I haven't watched. So I'm well, like, don't worry. Mo- We're going to get to him tonight. So just right. exactly. stick with Dr. Zimmerman and we'll get to the rest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he is on the station because he is uh, creating a new version of his holographic holographic um, medical program uh, that'll be like an improved version on the one that already exists. Uh, he was the template for the version that was installed on the Voyager ship. And so that's why his he, the actor plays that character on that show, but uh, Dr. Bashir has been chosen to become the new template for a new version, which will be a longer lasting version, something that's meant to be, you know, up and running for a longer period of time than the original version. Um, So this, of course, is a great boon to Julian's career. It's a kind of feather in his cap, as you might say. Uh, And of course, part of the process includes getting to know, getting to know Julian very deeply so he gets interviewed by Zimmerman about his history, you know, what did you eat when you were five years old and 10 years old and 15 and 20 and 25 and compare and contrast your, your meals from those ages. So crazy, intimate questions like that. Um, 
but Julian makes a point of saying, please do not contact my parents for any reason. I That's my one request. So what does Zimmerman do? He, of course, invites his parents to the station to his chagrin. Um, long story short, we're going to just quickly move on. The reason he doesn't like his parents and is, is kind of estranged from them is because it turns out when he was six years old, Dr. Bashir was taken by his parents to get genetically modified going from a child who was struggling in school to someone who was now excelling in school. And uh, in addition to getting some improvements to like hand eye coordination and his mental capacity, that meant that he was now kind of an illegal member of society. Uh, if, if the uh, Federation found out they would basically uh, force him out of Starfleet because they don't want genetically modified people uh, in Starfleet. Um, he is, you know, furious with his parents for showing up, furious with Zimmerman for asking his parents there. He didn't want this secret to get out, and he is not on good terms with his parents. Uh, they come off as nice people at first, but we come to understand that the real conflict is between Julian and his father. His father is one of those never-can-hold-a-job types who goes from this plan to that plan, always telling about what his great next project is, but it turns out it's always just never coming to fruition. And so Julian here is successful as a doctor on a foreign uh, space station, and his father is this kind of un... not unpleasant, but just not... We can see why Julian might have had a troubled childhood, is what I'm getting at. Um, but... When they get into an argument, they try and uh, go to Julian to apologize and say, we're not going to talk about your genetic modification to anybody. We're going to keep it out of any conversation with Zimmerman, any interview, etc. Unfortunately, they make this apology and confession to the holographic version of Julian, who is <laughs> unfortunately being tested by Zimmerman and O'Brien. So O'Brien and Zimmerman learned the truth. O'Brien tells Julian. Julian is angry and tells his parents. Tells O'Brien that I knew this would always this was always possible that this would come up. So I'm just gonna quietly leave Starfleet. So that there is no big hullabaloo and uh, just be done with it. But his parents go to Cisco, who contacts Starfleet, and they come to a compromise. Julian's father will go to prison for two years for getting the genetic modification. But because Julian has proven to be a upstanding member of Starfleet, they're going to allow him to stay in Starfleet. Uh, the real important thing is they don't want genetically modified humans like a certain one we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, because if you start genetically modifying people, we have the history of the genetic wars, etc., and so um, they don't they don't want it, but they'll let this case kind of slide as long as Julian's father goes to prison for two years. So Julian reconciles with his parents, and they go back to Earth. Uh, meanwhile, there's a little secondary story going on. Lita, who has broken up with Julian and is interested in getting with Rom, but Rom can't bring himself to ask her out. Zimmerman is interested in her, and so he asks her out, and then eventually asks her to come with him back to, I think it's Jupiter, uh, to his station. Jupiter station, when, yes. Yeah, Jupiter station, so she can run the cafe there and live with him. 
But right before she gets on the ship to leave, Rom finally runs up and says he loves her. She says he lo- she loves him, and so they get together, and Zimmerman very graciously allows her to go be with Rom. So, I think I hit up the high points, and I yes, probably said way too much, frankly, but nah. anyway. It's good. All right. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode, a lot of history. Yeah. A lot of crossover stuff. Um, so many different things that are going on here. So, um, again, Mr. First Time Viewer, uh, watching this and knowing what you know a little bit about, like, the, you know, past stuff and whatever else, what did you think of this episode? So I was wondering how they were going to make any conflict out of this episode when it started. Because it's like, oh, we're making Bashir. We're, we're interviewing Bashir. We're getting his parents on the station. Ooh, he doesn't want his parents on the station. It's true. We've never met them in the five years that we've had the show going. Why haven't we met his parents yet? Oh, they're here and he's not enjoying it. And then, boom, turns out the whole time <laughs> Dr. Bashir is a semi, you know, superhuman uh, just short of a certain, again, a certain uh, genetically modified person uh, himself. Khan! Khan, yes. Um, yes. And yes. Uh, so the end of the episode, which I forgot to mention, of course, is that turns out Dr. Bashir has been treating O'Brien to the easy mode of darts. Of his abilities, <laughs> of his abilities. yeah, he's been scaling back. Yeah, he's been able to play darts perfectly the whole time. Anytime he's been pulling back, it was just to make sure he and O'Brien were having a good time together, which, of course, just makes you think back to all the episodes that have happened before. All of, the, like, the the game, like, the... Not pickleball, um, but the one... No, they one, were playing um, spring ball. That's it, spring ball. Like, stuff like that. This whole time, it turns out, like, like Bashir was wanting to be a tennis star at one point. Uh, it turns out he's been a genetically modified human all along, which is hilarious. Um, I, we can talk more about it as we go on, but yeah. that that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I really like this episode because it's a great callback to greater Trek lore. And of course, with, you know, the big name there, Khan, you know, this goes all the way back to the original series. The episode was called Space Seed, and that's where we were first introduced to um, Khan Noonien Singh, played by Ricardo Montalban and his, you know, epic uh, maniacal struggle against you know Captain Kirk, and uh-huh. um, you know this is something that they touch on again in actually the newest one of the newer Star Trek shows, Strange New Worlds, and this fear that Earth in particular, but the Federation at large has against um, genetically modified or augmented um, individuals. Right. We see augments come up in uh, Star Trek Enterprise as well. Um, we see them talk about genetically engineered humans, but not from Earth per se. There's a colony of people who've gone out and, you know, they've been separated long enough and they've done their own thing. But there's like several times in Next Generation they also talked about the dangers of genetically modifying individuals. Um, so that seems to be the recurring thread in in Trek is that it's um, it, it's definitely frowned upon to the point where it's outright um, outlawed. Uh, for the right. Federation. Mm-hmm. And um, all of this stemming from the eugenics wars. These are wars that we have not seen portrayed on screen yet, but it's basically World War Three for Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, it's because there are these genetically modified humans who think that eventually get to the point where they begin to 
see themselves as truly superior to the rest of the human race. It causes mass conflicts, obviously on a global scale, hence the World War III term. It leads to the death of billions and the devastation of the planet, and almost to the point of bringing humanity to the brink of extinction until finally um, things kind of just, we don't know why, but the things tend to de-escalate. Um, could be because there just wasn't enough people uh, left to really have any kind of constant conflict with. Um, right. This gives rise, of course, to the first contact movie that we watched, and we see kind of the aftermath of of um, of the war of World War Three and Zephyr Cochran being born from uh, that struggle, which leads us into the space age and first contact with Vulcans and so forth and so on as the movie goes. So we're dealing with kind of the foundational work here of a lot of Trek that moves forward from the 60s on. Um, this is an, uh, an issue that keeps getting um, uh, touched on. Right. Um, now, there's one bit of dialogue in this episode that I thought was interesting because it relates to uh, the, one of the newer uh, Star Trek shows, Strange New Worlds. And that's where, after the reveal of Julian's uh, enhanced status, he's in, I'm assuming, his quarters talking to um, um, O'Brien. And O'Brien says to him, there hasn't been, there probably hasn't been a case dealing with this in a hundred years. So now if we go back uh, to the new show, I guess, Strange New Worlds, I'm not exactly sure if that's a hundred years, if that would make it a hundred years. But if, if it does, then the people on Strange New Worlds have been paying attention and did a great job because they did a whole episode about genetically engineered individuals serving in Starfleet, and it's called um, Ad Astra Perispera. And if you have not watched that episode, even if you don't know anything about Strange New Worlds or or Khan or the rest of them, you should watch that episode. It is a fantastic fantastic procedural episode all about dealing with you know uh, the rule of law we've got lawyers we've got the, the whole court you know tribunal thing going on it's beautifully done beautifully done every single person in that episode does a great job but of course um the two uh, main stars of the episode are going to be the person who played uh, the lawyer, and then the character, of course, who was on trial for being an augment, and that was the first officer um, on on that show. So you should definitely go watch it. Hey, David, even you, you should go watch it. You've got Paramount Plus. Go to Strange New Worlds. I watched it recently. I think I watched it like maybe a week ago. Um, Ad Astra per Aspera. It's a great, great episode. Um, go watch it. And it gives us a little bit more detail about... Um, federation law which we only we always hear about federation law but the one we hear about the most is obviously going to be the prime directive this gives us a little bit more insight into kind of all of the you know statutes and whatever else that go into um general order number one or the prime directive you know so if you're interested in any of that at all it's another reason to go and watch uh that episode so absolutely go check that out um so now we're dealing with a genetically enhanced, genetically engineered um, Bashir. And he tells his story of why it happened. He was six years old. He was falling behind his uh, other classmates, but not just so much falling behind as it was. He was struggling. I mean, he talks about how, you know, while his cl- uh, classmates were 
reading and writing and practicing on the computer, he was still grasping with understanding the difference between a tree and a house, house and, and cats. And dogs. cats and, so, I mean, there's uh, clearly, it, to me, that speaks of a fundamental developmental breakdown if he right. can't distinguish between a tree and a house. Right. You know, so um, clearly there was something wrong with him here. So, I'm um, going to ask, how would you feel about how about genetic engineering, genetic manipulation? Oh, I think genetic we're, engineering. Oh, yeah. man. You know, I've never really given it much thought until, I mean, let me put it this way. The only time I've really thought about it I can think of is like Gattaca, this movie Gattaca. I remember that movie with Ethan, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman and yeah. uh, what's the guy's name who played Holmes with in, in the Sherlock? No, he played Jude Watson Law. in Jude Law. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, first time I ever saw any of those actors in anything, and it's a great movie. It's a fantastic As, movie. It's, Love man, that movie. Just, just thinking about it all over again, I'm like, yeah, it's like maybe top ten for me. Actually, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, there's so many movies that could fit in top ten, but like, just thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, that movie is really good. Um, and of course, for a quick read down plot of that one, the main character, Ethan Hawke's character, is uh, not genetically modified, uh, enhanced, but his younger brother is, and later in life, he. Uh, takes the DNA. Well, there, there's there is an enhanced human Jude Law's character. He's been crippled because he tried killing himself and he got crippled in the process. And so he now gives his enhanced DNA uh, to Ethan Hawke's character, but not like in his cells. Like they didn't they didn't like trade DNA transfusion or anything. They just gives him his dead skin cells and his flakes and his hair. So cuts he off can his legs. It. Yeah, he like fakes it um, so he can like sprinkle all the like the detritus around his his person so that anyone coming along with like a, a vacuum cleaner and there's a murder and anyway the whole point of the movie is like what are the ramifications of genetic engineering and um i mean i feel like the easy answer is like oh genetic engineering is bad but the movie i, I would certainly say is trying to make a more complex answer to that because the people like jude law's character was genetically enhanced and he tried killing himself like it doesn't make you a happier person. Yeah. It turns out his brother is one of the detectives that tries going after him, and he's not a happy person. And Uma Thurman's character isn't happy either, but Ethan Hawke makes her happy, and he's not genetically enhanced. So, like, it's a great movie. Um, I won't well, I would say, say more. Well, I would say for all of those, Star Trek included, I think that the, the um, um, first message that they seem to be wanting you to latch onto is that, yes, genetic genetic engineering genetic modification is bad but then right. as you continue to watch the story that they're actually telling it's more along the lines of um there is a there's a quality of life that cannot be engineered yes. and that um no matter what we do no matter how we try to change ourselves there is a need for this kind of free expression that you right. can't get through genetic engineering i right. mean it, even in this episode it's it's talking about how there's an exception to everything you right. know like julian like the fear of of genetically modified individuals and the eugenics wars um, being the guiding principle here for for Starfleet, we see that Julian is an exception. Who uh, um, his his issue was that he would have lived a fundamentally, you know, probably 
just terrible life. I mean, the man couldn't distinguish between a tree and a house. What kind of life did you think he was going to have? Dogs and cats, I can understand, but tree and house, I was like, oh man, he really yeah. was having I mean, trouble. He was, he was struggling. <laughs> and so because of the genetic manipulation, he now is uh, he's a bright, shining star who's contributing to society. He's, he's not harmful. He's not, you know, megalomaniacal. He's not... Um, you know, he's not crazy or anything he else. He doesn't flaunt it. He hasn't been yes. flaunting this. I mean, yes. he hasn't flaunted it for the reason that it's illegal. So maybe if it was legal, maybe yeah. he would be flaunting it. Who knows? But now the Jag going, officer yeah. makes a the Jag officer makes a good point at the end. He's talking about you know for every you know for every Julian Bashir that comes out of the program, there's a Khan Union Singh waiting in the wings somewhere. You know, right. that's that's kind of the thing that they're saying. You know, there's no way to really tell what's going to happen to the individual who gets this kind of treatment. So right. it's better to err on the side of caution and not do it than right. to to run the risk. But um, again, there there can be exceptions, you know, there may be necessary, you know, things that can be corrected only through this kind of gene therapy um, thing that, um, that they offer. So who knows? I know that as our, as our parallel, of course, humans have only, I guess you could say fairly recently, considering the grand scheme of time with medical practices and so forth, begun doing gene therapy. We do use it as treatment for just um, a few diseases. I know there's a lot of research that goes into it. Um, there's a lot of different things that they're trying to expand it to. I think, um, or I know that like cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, and there's some other things um, that are going to be that are treated currently by it. Uh, you can right. just look those up really quick. I did. And there's like, I think there's like a top five that they look at, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could do with it that could be both good or bad, but um, we haven't really gotten there yet, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we'll see it. So for this show to be, you know, kind of breaching that subject yet again here in the nineties, it shows a great amount of consistency with Star Trek. Cause I mean, they started talking about it in the sixties. They did several episodes about it in the eighties with next generation. And now right. here we are with, um, um, deep space nine following yeah. suit. So yeah, really like that consistency here. Yeah. And this is a nineties show. Gattaca was a nineties movie and all that. So definitely was on the mind of the times. I guess I would say it's one of those things that, like, if everyone could receive the same level of genetic tampering to, like, you know, like, let's say, like, Alzheimer's or something. Like, there's some that's genetic on some level, and so we can eradicate it from the gene pool. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, it does make sense there would be some consequences to that. You know, if you can if you can genetically modify this, what else could you genetically modify? The movie Gattaca points out that, um, like, the, like, the movie had his parents like making you know they, they they got you know some eggs fertilized and they they left them in like test tubes and there are people who already do that you know they they get eggs fertilized and they put them in a freezer and i mean i'm i'm on the pro life argument of the abortion argument and part of the uh part of that argument is like hey you know treating people like commodities is an issue like even doing that is is an issue if you, if you just leave you know a fully dna unique person even if they're only just a you know a cell uh left in you know some freezer somewhere you know where's the slippery slope gonna lead at some point are we gonna allow that to continue on in some capacity does that does that argumentation move forward and so uh gattaca kind of brings that up a bit this show didn't you know this episode didn't but it's one of those things where like if if everyone could receive the same benefit then 
you know, if you could rise all boats, you know, rise all boats. But if you can't, man, it, it can cause some issues. And if, it makes sense that there was a war. You know, there was some, I'm better than you people. Maybe it was the other way around. Maybe there were some people who were scared of the genetically modified people and were like, we can't so have I, that. <laughs> so I think this episode gets a couple of things a little confused. Because if you look it up, um, I was just doing a little bit of, of research here in prep for our episode, of course. And, you know, the phrase they keep using is genetic engineering. But it sounds more like what Bashir got was actually closer to gene therapy, not yes. genetic engineering. Because yes. genetic yes. engineering talks about fundamentally changing the DNA, typically of like an embryo, something that has right. before it gets to a point of any actual um, real development. So before they're before they're born, that right. we we are making these edits to the very DNA that makes it that individual, enhancing some things, cutting out some other things in order to get this kind of superhuman status. That is what we were dealing with when we look at the story of Khan. Um, Khan and his acolytes were all genetically engineered. So um, upon their birth, they were genetically perfect. They spent countless times in in test tubes and cross this and that and whatever else to come up with their DNA before right. and then implanting that DNA into an embryo to let it grow and develop. Right. Julian, on the other hand, had a normal uh, birthing cycle, gestation. You know, he, yeah. you know, he, they didn't realize something was wrong with him until again, he said he was six years old. So then that's where it would be gene therapy because they took this individual who was who was struggling, they identified precisely the areas where he was struggling, where his development was lacking, and they right. then enhanced those areas to make right. him like others. Unfortunately, it went beyond just making him normal, and it was a greater enhancement so that it improved all these other things for him. That's and a it's great more point. keep talking. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And so that was more out of the whole where he's a kid. We're not really sure hundred percent what issues he's gonna have. We see these defects, so we can correct these defects. Let's right. do that. And it had the the um, added bonus of enhancing him entirely. Right. So that is, so that would be gene therapy, not genetic engineering. There is a right. difference there, but they do keep saying that in the episode. Right. So um, yeah, I think that's good, why there's a, I mean, I think there's a good distinction there. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, they, designer babies isn't what happened here, like in Gattaca. Gattaca, it's from literally the cell, you know, the egg, uh, designer babies. And I, I, again, what one of the points that Gattaca is making is that people who are genetically engineered are kind of designed to fit in a certain slot in society. And that is actually oppressive to those people is it, it forces them to be here. You are designed to be here in society and you don't, you can't deviate. Whereas natural birth, you're allowed to go wherever you want, but in that society, it's actually, it's, it's also oppressive because they won't let you, you know, ascend. But in this uh, instance, yeah, um, it, it wasn't, I like what you said. It wasn't trying to get Bashir or Julian, as he likes to insist being called, uh, to just catch up. It, it it takes him from catch up to leading the pack. And that's why they had mm. to get him in a different school. Um, and it really just it brings up an interesting question. Is that an unfair advantage to another kid? Because they didn't get genetically enhanced. Um, if, Doc, if, if Julian was doing a good job now, and he takes advantage of the opportunities that come his way because he now has that capacity to handle those opportunities. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a fascinating question because on some level it's like, well, Julian's not responsible for what happened to him. And again, he didn't go to jail. It's his father who goes to jail at the end of the episode. 
Um, but was there someone else who unfairly lost opportunities because this happened? Because it's hard argument to make, you know, if, if Bashir was better qualified after the fact, that still means he was a better so, qualified candidate. So that's a great So that's question. one of the things, and that's one of the things about the utopia world of, of Starfleet and Star Trek here that makes certain arguments like these a bit harder to understand because the way that everything seems to work in this particular society is that everyone um, can have a job. Everyone can have a purpose. Um, you can find other ways to be, to lead a purposeful life. And that whole idea of necessarily missing out on opportunities that would bring you, you know, money, for example, doesn't exist for them because there is no money in the 24th century. That's not a, that's not a concern. That's part of that world building that we have not seen. Like, how did they get to that point of everybody being able to have nice things right? right and and you have to assume that at some point in that kind of evolution it's not so much about everybody having nice things so much as it's also about people realizing they don't need to have overly elaborate things in order to survive and be comfortable right. there's no need for two people to live in a 40 room mansion all by themselves you know you can be just as happy in a you know, two bedroom house or whatever, right? Like that's that's where there's a another part of the disconnect in the lore that we're not seeing. Um, yeah. There are still people who have you know family homes, ancestral homes. Picard, um, his family still maintains control over a vineyard, massive property in France. Um, they've had you know for generations, and no one bats an eye about right. it. Um. Uh, Jake Sisko, we saw the future Jake Sisko is living in that giant old school Louisiana uh, mansion. You know, why is he living? Why does that house even still exist in the 24th century? There's yeah. obviously reasons, um, but they haven't explained any of those. Um, yeah. We see in Star Trek Picard, one of the main characters is living in um, a nice, but albeit, I mean, it's there's no other term for it I can think of. Um, it's a it's a trailer basically, um, out in the middle of the desert. It's very nice. It's all you know, trekked up as as the best way I could think about it. She got a lot of technology and things like that. It looks very nice, but I mean, compared to the elaborate sprawling mansion of Jean Luc Picard, her place is kind of you know a hole. So it's just like, what's the wh how did they how did they get to that point? Of people being like. This isn't necessary for me. We don't need to do all this. Because that's where the whole redistribution of wealth um, brings about that kind of utopian society. So there had to be, you know, millionaires, billionaires, and zillionaires, whatever they are, giving up property, land, titles, giving up all of those things in order to make this work. Now, could it be that they were the first people who were targeted in World War III, and once you wipe them out, no one really cares anymore. So that's why there was suddenly all these things available. But right. um, yeah, there's there's a lot that we don't know about that, but uh, I, those are other questions I think about too. But when it comes to missing out on opportunities, I mean, that's a great point. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's something that we would have to really worry about here, but in our world, we would certainly worry about that. Um, children missing out on opportunities because someone was genetically enhanced. Right. So I guess my next question for you would be, would it be okay if we only did gene therapy versus genetic engineering? Um, I think 
<laughs> as someone who has not explored the issue for very long, <laughs> I do think that on some level it, it's it's okay. I mean, certainly because you said you can pull up examples of it already happening now. I would imagine. And, and just that... to be clear, gene therapy is the one that's used to specifically target disease. Right. They're looking at ways to cure disease well, versus guess... genetic engineering, which is taking away or modifying your base pair sequences. Here. Right. Well, I guess what it really comes down to is what you you said earlier, which really brings the point home. Doctor Bashir, as a child, he wasn't just brought up into line with all the other kids. He wasn't down here and then brought up into the pack. He was ex- caused to excel. So, like, this, so, that makes sense, but doing this, that's the question. So the so my question on that, because they don't really explain it, and so I guess my final question on that to the writers and so forth would be, was that the intention? Because they make it sound like all they were really trying to do was bring him up to spec, basically, with the rest of the kids. Right. But it's one of those things that they can't a hundred percent control you right. can't you can't stop the the progress once it's kind of begun right. so they did enhance him because he need they felt he needed to be enhanced but then it just naturally through you know the course of him living the things kind of also improved and got even better so right. like they were like oh his motor skills are absolutely terrible we're right. going to enhance those to make him like everyone else but then you by speeding him up with that, you gave him an advantage of him being way more coordinated at seven than right. a typical seven year old would be. And then right. now he's seven with the coordination of, say, a 15 year old. Right. And then he's 15 and he's had all those years of practicing and training. And we all get better with skills as we get older. So that's what I'm I think that's what happened there. It wasn't that they intentionally jumped him ahead of everyone else they just they brought him up so quickly that now his well I the would time it, to develop it got also cut short well i would just put it like it's one of those things where once you unlock the key you can't relock it again maybe that's yeah. how it works like there's yeah. no way to just again using the whole you can't just get him here once you and start just, going you go all the way um, yeah, they can't just go back in there and dial it down. It's like, oh, we're going to turn you up to 11 for about six months, and then we're going to dial you back down. I was like, nah, we broke it. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> so, again, it's one of those things where, like, of course, everyone – I mean, if someone could come along and give me some sort of quick fix to, like, I'm genetically enhanced as an adult even, I don't know why I wouldn't want to take it or anyone else wouldn't want to. Um, the question, again, becomes – you know, what does it allow you to achieve? Because, and like, who has access to it? I mean, that's that's a question that, it, it's a fascinating one to explore. I've never really thought about it much. But again, I've seen Gattaca. Okay. But I haven't seen the movie in ages. And I haven't thought about the implications much since. So, so this next is a fascinating question. idea. <laughs> next question. All right. So, gene, flash forward, gene therapy is commonplace. It's everywhere. You can go to Walgreens, get yourself a shot. <laughs> and, and and do whatever what would you have what do you feel like is your is your thing that you would want to have modified what would you what do you feel like is a problem that you would love to just be able to do that and get fixed um i've never been a particularly athletic person I haven't really been interested in being athletic necessarily either it's just like been i mean I was a kid who was, you know, small and I was like, I was, I was born in June. So I was always the youngest of the class I was in. So I was never in a position to really excel according to other, my other classmates. 
part of me wonders, like, if I had been kept back a couple months, kept back a year, well, how would my life be different? But anyway, never been all that interested in athletical activities. But if I could have a shot and I could dunk on a basketball court or run a mile without having to sweat or something, um, I, that's where I'd start. Um, intellectual pursuits, of course, would be would be lovely as well. Um, but I would start on the physical. How about you? Um, I think for me, I, I, I would, I always, I always worry about my, uh, my joints. I'm a rather, I'm, I'm an extremely tall individual and I've been told for years that, you know, because of that and also because I did play sports and everything else, those are going to be my problem areas as I age. So if I could do something that would really just fix that without the need of any kind of like super hardcore invasive surgery, no replacements, none of that, I would definitely do that. Um, and that's being very mundane. If um, if we're going to go like just if we're going to totally sci-fi it up, right, I want my vision enhanced. I want to be able to have... You know, I already have pretty good vision, um, but I want that freaking, you know, next level. Maybe. No, I already have 2020. I want that next level laser sight, you know. Eagle, I can, like an eagle. See all of it. Yeah, man. I just, I want away, you. That's right. I want to be able to watch a movie with, like, I'm sitting next to the screen, but it's like, you know, five miles away or whatever that <laughs> ama- amazing magic genetic number is that it does. Right. Or I want to have my immune system super enhanced so that I never get sick, no matter what right. it is. No, no disease is going to take me out. That I'm just, right. I'm, I'm impervious. Oh, that's what I would want. You, you know, know what's really interesting. Um, the, the thing that I always, when I have, when this, when genetic engineering has popped in the back of my head, I haven't ever really thought about it much in detail. But one thing that has come to mind is, you know, eventually we all die. Eventually our bodies give out. So how well would these would these improvements last like for how long? Cause I think sci-fi usually answers the question of like, it's a, it's a short burst of flame. Like you're brilliant, you're successful. You can, your, your body works great, but then it burns out quickly and you die at an early age. I think that's typically how sci-fi answers these questions. But only know, because, but only because those individuals who go that route tend to uh, uh, become very selfish Right, you know, because there's always like the cautionary tale of somebody else who's lived an extraordinary life and an extraordinarily long life. Um, not necessarily that they're immortal, but that they have had a longer life, obviously, than even the most long-lived human. You know, right. Um, and the main takeaway from every single one of those characters when they pop up is they've lived simply, they've lived humbly, they've traveled, they've seen things, they've experienced a lot of things, they have a lot of stories, a lot of miles they've traveled and so forth, but they are so content with the fact that they have just done that without having to amass great fortunes or being dictators or any of those things that they have this you know, true salt of the earth persona about them from having lived and extensively traveled for so long. Um, um, I think that longevity is always going to be one of those things that pops up for humans because we are, especially as we age, we become acutely aware of the fact that um, we have more, you know, time behind than ahead. And um, yeah, anything we can do to stave that off is, it just becomes more and more paramount. I was hearing recently, there's some guy who is a, millionaire, billionaire, whatever, who has invested 
millions of dollars into de-aging himself. And he was even to the point where he was guy. getting, yeah. yeah, even at one point he was getting blood transfusions from his younger son in order to use his young blood to rejuvenate his, his cells, whatever else. And they said that, yeah, scientifically, technically, he has de-aged himself by like two years. So all that money, all that expense, the intense regimen of supplements and injections and all these things that he's got to do in order to maintain this. And it's like, okay, great. On the one hand, you've extended your life two years. But on the other hand, what quality of life are you having? You're right. you're not eating anything. You're taking all of your nutrition in via injections and pill form supplements. You right. don't go outside because you don't want to have too much sun exposure. You're, you're like all these things. So you don't enjoy any of the things that make life worth living. Um, right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to be stuck into a, a box. And okay, you're gonna you're gonna live for 300 years, but uh, you you step one foot outside of this room and you're gonna fall apart and turn into a pile right. of pile of dust. Not worth it. Not worth yeah. it. So, yeah. um, I mean, I would want to have a very long life, but I would want my life to be um, productive, and I want right. to see things and experience things and see my friends and family and so forth. I wouldn't want it any other way. So, yeah, the one thing about aging, if I remember my biology class at all, it was the telomeres on the ends of the your chromosomes. The infamous telomeres, yes. Yeah, those little bits on the end of your chromosomes are basically just there to like buffer whenever your genes are copied and your cells divide. It's there to act as a buffer in case any little bits get left behind and not everything is copied appropriately. And so for me, it's like we got to solve that problem first. Like telomeres I mean, can't be I'm left pretty behind. Sure Virtually, that's the main problem. It's like once they start to wear out, that's it. That's when you're on the decline. And then, well, of course, uh, you know the one thing that I yeah. always think about whenever I think about that. Well, if every cell, you know, human cell is divided, you know, that means that you know your kids are your genes you're passing along. Are their telomeres also slowly to, like Yeah, they are. In a thousand, a hundred thousand years from now, are humans just going to age in a day? <laughs> Well, no, that's like, well, that's what they say. It's just like your, um, that's how they, you know, track your, your age. Cause you have these, you know, you have a certain number when you're born right. and then over time they just decline and then right. barring anything unnatural when they are all gone, that's, that's when your number's up, you know? Right. So if they can figure out a way to slow down that process of us losing them, that would be that, you know, that secret to longer life. But we haven't right. really gotten there yet. So, right. you know, that's interesting, though, that it, for a lot of Star Trek, that doesn't ever really seem to be the focus of many of the characters that we come across, the long life. They seem to be very content with doing the most with the time that they have. You find a couple of characters who pop up every so often who are very obsessed with, you know, living forever and augmenting themselves to do so but they almost always turn out to be villains yeah you know um never are any of our good guys like oh man i need to get like all of my internals replaced so that i can be here for the next 200 years or whatever right you know even the vulcans go crazy after they reach 200 yeah. so you know um well and picard was 80 right he's like 80 or so when Interpro or when um tng is supposed to be going on or something uh no when next gen started i believe he was 59 okay i think i think he was Patrick yeah. stewart was like 
40-ish, but his character was... Pat, yeah, that's right. Patrick Stewart was, was yeah, like 45 or 46, playing a 59-year-old man. Right. And then... Um, and they, that was, uh, from what I understand, that was done on purpose because it was supposed to be that in the, you know, 24th century, your 50s are like your 40s or whatever it is. So <laughs> they did that on purpose. Right. Um, yeah, because then in, in Picard, he's he's not quite 100. I think he just celebrates his 99th birthday in the show. So, right. uh, yeah. And then, of course, he goes and does weird things and gets a new synth body and yeah, just go. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I'll get to it eventually. I'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> so now let's turn our attention to, um, Dr. Zimmerman here, ah. almost towards the end of our show. We yeah. finally get to Lewis Zimmerman yep. here. Um, Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, who, um, works at Jupiter station. He is a famed hologram, um, programmer holographic programmer he did create the emergency medical holographic program which becomes famous on star trek voyager when it um, is activated for the first time to take the place of the um, chief medical officer who dies in the pilot episode and um, now we see him here on the station doing well the next generation of his work instead of the emergency medical hologram he's looking for the long-term medical hologram and they're going to base it off of dr bashir um what did you think of Dr. Zimmerman? He's a fun character for sure. Cause he's got, I mean, he's full of snark. It's just, he's chock full of it. Um, I guess we'll just have to put up with your luminous personality or, um, it's just, just, just comments like that throughout. I'm trying to think of some great zingers he had, but of course they, it's hard for me to remember all the good, the good ones, but he was fun. I mean, I don't imagine he'll be back anytime soon or, or not. He doesn't show up anymore on Deep Space Nine, um, but obviously the EMH is running on Voyager, which is was running at the same time this show was. Right. And uh, uh, Lewis Zimmerman does pop up as Lewis Zimmerman on uh, Voyager as well, a holographic version of Lewis Zimmerman. And right. then later on, Zimmerman himself, an, old, an older version towards right. the end of the show. Gotcha. Um, so, in talking about the emergency medical hologram, um, that is a program, like we said, it's supposed to service as a, a doctor temporarily um, until a new one can be, you know, put in place. But on Voyager, they're stranded 70 years from the nearest outpost, so the EMH becomes the doctor. Right. In fact, that's his name, Doctor. They don't ever name him. He's just the doctor. So, right. Um, <laughs> right, right. I always thought that was a good wink and a nod towards um, <laughs> Doctor Who, that he's just always referred to as the Doctor, right. but they never they never acknowledge it. Um, Have you ever watched this, the, the YouTube channel, uh, Epic Rap Battles of History? By yes. Okay, yes, this makes me think, uh, maybe they did one of those, because that would be perfect. <laughs> I don't know if they've done what a Doctor Who one. I think my favorite one is when they do Bill Nye and Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah, but well, they're all great, yeah. but they're all hilarious. Well, Dr. Zimmerman um, is an irascible man, to say the least. This is a character trait Good that word. is definitely um, uh, passed on to the EMH. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved when they had that moment where they took the EMH's um, protocols and transferred them into the Julian yes. uh, EMH. I like that. Wasn't that fully was formed. Yeah. So now Julian's acting like him. That was, right. that was great. Yeah. I was like... 
How do you feel when someone's parroting you to right. your face? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great little moment because you initially don't you don't get it. You just oh, this is a hologram. But then as soon as you know that it's the personality profile in Dr. Bashir's hologram, it it's so funny. I mean, I wish we wish we could have extended that scene. Mm. Like, what is Dr. Bashir but not, you know, his personality yeah. is not the same. Um yeah, that would have been hilarious if we could have had more of that. So this is kind of the beginning also of, of Starfleet experimenting with holographic personnel. Um, this idea only comes up um, in Voyager, but uh, Voyager does it a couple of times when they come across ships that have nothing but holographic uh, crews on them, Ooh. when they encounter a race of people who are deadly fearful of holograms and decide that anyone who's running a holographic program, it must be destroyed. Um, There's another race that hijacks Voyager because of the holographic programs that they have and basically wants to use that to augment their own technology for the purpose of hunting. And then there's the... um, We actually see a version of the LMH, but it's not played by Bashir, um, in Voyager. Um, when the doctor ends up making contact with Earth and is put on an experimental vessel called the Prometheus, and he um, runs into his new counterpart there on that ship. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you feel, I don't know if you're fans, whatever, but um, that character was, that doctor was played by Andy Dick, and um, their interaction is unusual. Uh, to say the least. So um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But basically, <laughs> um, Star Trek, they use holograms a lot. And then in, in uh, Discovery, when they flash forward to the future, we see that holograms are kind of everywhere and they're doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole idea of, of holographic people um, and kind of keeping holograms at a certain level of development so that they don't become autonomous the way the doctor eventually does on voyager um (laughs) i mean he does he absolutely does i'm sure Um, yeah you know uh and then of course you know picard also deals with this whole synthetic people thing too i mean we were getting already touches of that with data but then yeah we have moriarty who you know there's a lot of this recurring theme here so i always wonder like should we be doing this like it when if we want to say if we want to dive into the universe and we're seeing that these programs are able to over time achieve sentience, should we continue to create these programs? Don't we have a responsibility to not just on a whim, bring our fantasies to life and then we're just shutting them off. Like where does the distinction lie? Because like I said, the doctor on Voyager eventually achieves sentient status. Um, But that seems to be through his, the fact that he's running continuously, they allow his program to expand. He develops all kinds of interactions and attachments to the crew and, and, and whatever else. And eventually you can't distinguish him from another crew member. Right. Um, so if, if that can happen, and we already knew of the potential of that happening with Moriarty, who also achieved sentience on the Enterprise, should we really be making these holographic people? It's a great question, man. <laughs> the real, I, here's back backing up on all of this we've been talking about genetic manipulation, all of this. Um, oh, 
is my okay there we go i'm back um the thing that really stands out to me is like at what point does scientific advancement just go beyond it just it just advances forward it marches forward like you can't stop it is that really what it comes down to is that you know on some level maybe we can't stop the future from happening um it's not a question of whether it's moral or not or ethical or not it's here <laughs> now we got to deal with it i don't know so that that always reminds me of a quote from um two of them now that i think about it one from star trek uh six the undiscovered country which is the final movie that the original series did and it's where the president stands up and he uh he's given a speech and the line that he says is just because we can do a thing it does not necessarily follow that we must do that thing um and then of course there is the infamous jurassic park line about how life uh finds a way you know so you know it's just like if you give no matter how you look at it if we're if you're giving the building blocks for something then life will kind of find a way it, it will it will make itself happen right. and then to the other statement there it's you know just because you can does it follow that you should like yes we can create these holograms but should we have we really sat and thought about all of the ramifications behind creating them um let's take it's... reginald barkley really quick yeah. i just want to say let's take reginald oh, yeah, barkley yeah, yeah, for sure go ahead yeah yeah well, he loved creating holographic versions of people who already existed. What if one of those were to suddenly be like, Dr. no. Dr. Moriarty and, right. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, what if, well, not even that, but what if the one that he created of Deanna was to be like, no, I'm Deanna Troy. You're the, you're the imposter. I'm going to walk off the hall. Oh. What, do, what do we do in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's basically what the, the Moriarty, uh, guy yeah. saying he takes over the whole ship for an episode because he's like i'm done waiting for you guys to figure it out i'm gonna force your hand what? and they pull the greatest of uh cons on him they put him in a yeah. box and say okay you're free. yeah the old switcheroo <laughs> you're free for as long as this has power yeah exactly have fun oh, man uh but oh, yeah, yeah it's it's of course, you know, I was going to say is the episode in season two of TNG where um, Data is put on trial for sentience. I mean, that's the whole point of that episode. And the whole point of the show was to answer that question, what does it mean to be sentient? And it never gives a clear answer. I don't think there is Measure a way of a to man. Really, Great episode. Yeah, there's no way to 100% give a clear answer on that stuff. I mean, I, I'll say this right, right now, just briefly. I don't think the human soul is something that can be can – be, um, reproduce can be faked so i don't i don't believe that artificial intelligence will ever truly be an artificial intelligence as in like a human being it might be able to impersonate it on some level but it so won't have a morality there will there will never be a morality core of its of its own so um, would you say that there's a distinction between artificial intelligence and then artificial sentience could we separate those two out then? Yes. Because I yeah. think we can. I do think we can have artificial intelligence, but br- right. that gap between tele- intelligence to sentience is where, you know, where the debate really is. And I feel like I don't think we'll ever really get there. I think that those two things will always be separate because yeah. the most it, powerful even, computer in the world can mimic a lot of things, but it's still not right. sentient. Yeah, I think it's the classic, um, classic problem of. If you cut a line in half again and again and again and again and again, you'll always have something to cut in half, and you'll never quite get to the end. 
but you might still cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut the line in half and in half, and it gets closer and closer and closer, but it doesn't quite get there. That's, That's um, my feeling. There's a math uh, principle, the asymptote, that follows that same principle. Of it always, but, yeah. It's always approaching zero, but no matter right. what you do, it'll never get there. It's it'll always approach there. it, right? Yeah. No matter how far you follow it, no matter what you do, it will it will be extremely close, but it will never actually hit. And the closer zero. you zoom in on so, it, the more real you realize it's not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's my yeah. feeling. Um, I mean, of course, the biggest question with artificial intelligence is: at what point does it? Can you be confused? And can you be duped into believing that you are experiencing something that is... There's surreal. a term for that, too. It's something Turing about... Tests. Yeah, but there's there's another one. It's about something that, like, it, it, that approaches near human something, and it's staring back at us. I forget what it's called, but there's this... It's just, it's there, it talks about there being a fundamental disconnect, and that when we view it, it's something that causes, like, the animal part of our hindbrains or whatever to freak out whenever we see it. I forget what what that's called but i've read about it a couple of times and um i wish i could remember what that is but yeah it's something about just approaching something that is almost sentient and how it spooks humans mm-hmm. so that's why certain animals and stuff like that we don't we don't really mess with too much because if we when we approach that line with them it throws us off so right. um i forget what that's called but the turing test is another um great example of a well, the Uncanny Valley, is, is that what you're thinking of? Maybe that's what it is, the Uncanny yeah. Valley. Well, that's certainly when you look at a face, like an artificially created face, like in computer games, and, you know, you, you can tell it's not real. But, yeah, it makes you feel like there's something wrong there. It's not, yeah, there's something, else. yeah, something's not quite quite right here. Um, a lot yeah. of, um, so, in the last year, my dad has really enjoyed, like, chat GPT and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, uh... You know, those, there are artificial, like, paintings and artwork you can find. Um, but whenever I've looked at it, in my experience, you can tell what's fake. Um, it might look good, but there's, like, hands. Uh, apparently they figured out hands. But apparently, at least to start with, hands were always really weird. Like, multiple fingers, fingers in the wrong place, pointing the wrong direction. Um did you ever see the ones where it was like a you know it was artificial intelligence drawings of people eating? Did you ever see anything like that? Like Will I saw one, eating spaghetti, and it's so creepy looking. I saw one where it was like a beer commercial, and it creeped me out. Like yeah. I, I just I was watching it, and it was it it started off and it seemed normal, like it was like moving through a party or something. But the more you watched it, the more everything in it was just wrong. Right. And it just, it got to the point where I was like. <laughs> what is this? I, I remember asking myself, like, what is, is this really a commercial? Like, what am I watching here? And then it was, yeah, the first ever commercial done by chat GPT or whatever. And I was like, um, throw that away. Cause it was awful. And like, Monic. you know, yeah, they were picking up, <laughs> picking up bottles and glasses and hands were morphing into the thing. And, yes. you know, they were pouring their hands down their throat and yes. uh, just, and then like extra long mouths or whatever. I was like, no, yeah. who's, Salvador yeah. Dali nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> to put this together. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about Lita and Rob. Should we talk about them I real guess quick? We, I guess we should. The, the worst couple matchup in the history of couple matchups. <laughs> I don't care what anybody not. said. Yes, I don't like it. It's And look, Lita can do better. 
Lita can do better. <laughs> I mean, right? she literally had Dr. Zimmerman at her beck and call, so literally, yes, she can. <laughs> I, I just... Can't yeah, be Lita, Lita can be like that, though. Come on, now. I do, I, look, I've already established I don't like him. Um, I'm not backing <laughs> down from that. No one is going to convince me that he's just good old, lovable Rom. Rom's an idiot, all right? And I just... I don't like him, and that way he talks bothers uh, me. Okay, if you say so. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. And then takes <laughs> off running like a little weasel out of the room. I, I, can't, I can't stand it. I don't know who decided that that was like a good thing to keep around. I mean, I, I understand that he was supposed to be kind of the oafish version of, you know, Quark, Quark. but man, did... Uh, he oversell here. I will give the actor credit. He did a great job on portraying that yeah. character. Don't get me wrong, but I don't like him. So right. Well, we ha- we should at least mention that we learned the origins of Nog in this episode. Yes, we do. Yes, we, learned, we do. And it's a brief story. Quark is giving Nog a hard time about you know falling giving in Rom love with Lita. A hard time. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me for falling in love with Lita by saying the last time you fell in love with the woman was the woman who, you know, had Nog, you know, you're, I guess where they, they were married, you know, it was a five year yeah, contract. Nog's, Nog's mother, her name was Prinadora. Right. And she's entered into a contract, a contract with Rom. Um, they had a kid, Nog, and then he fell in love with her. So then he tried to extend the contract to stay married to her, to which her father used to swindle him out of his entire life savings. She divorced him, took the money, is now married to someone else much richer, and he was left with Nog. And that's why they came to live and work on the station with Quark. He lost all of his money and had to depend on his brother. Right. Which is quintessential Ferengi societal behavior. And I love it. Yes. You know what it, you know what it are... reminds me of? What? Did you, did you ever watch Two and a Half Men with Charlie Sheen and uh, <laughs> um, what was that other guy's name? I John Cryer. It. John Cryer. I, I saw it's, Come On. It's John it was, Man, it was so crass. Man. But I that's, had a hard time ever watching it. But, but that's yeah. kind of the whole premise. Charlie Sheen is this very successful whatever he is. He was a and... jingle. He made jingles for, for okay. commercials, remember correctly. That's why he could yeah. live that lavish lifestyle, but also yeah. like do nothing with himself because he just but made then, jingles for commercials. But then John Cryer, he comes to live with him because he got a divorce and she took all of his stuff, all the money, the house, all of it. And um, and on top of that, he was still having to pay her an exorbitant um, alimony. So he had no choice but to come and live with his brother. And then even when the son eventually comes to live with them, he is still paying um, through the nose right. to his ex. So, right. um, yeah, that's exactly that's when I heard the story, I was like, yeah, that's two and a half men. But with Ferengi. <laughs> so. It's funny because. Um... There's a series of books, which I haven't finished. It's by Orson Scott Card, who wrote Ender's Game. And part of the plot of the books, they're set in like an, like a far distant future. You know, Earth has been forgotten kind of storyline. The, the, <laughs> the society has marriage arrangements like that. They're contracts that they can expire and women can enter into new contracts with you know new husbands, if you will. And so the main character... He's like 15 or whatever, has like a half brother and, you know, his dad has had children by different women because he's been, you know, like married to different women. So 
it's it's very much like what that Ferengi culture just described. And part of the reason I'm bringing that up is because the other series that I've been I started reading the first book of the Red Rising series a few uh, months ago. Uh, I'm about to finally get back to the second one, uh, which my roommate is very excited for because he's he likes them a lot. And they use genetic engineering in that series as well. That society is is highly stratified uh, with you know tiered societies. If you're a gold, you're at the top. You know you're in the leadership luxury level, and the reds are the slave laborers. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty mm. common sci-fi trope, but I don't. It's it's a fascinating one to explore. So. Well, I think we have pretty much uh, covered everything here. And um, any final thoughts on on this episode and genetic engineering? I don't know how they're ever going to play darts again. Well, clearly Julian has to stand behind the bar, and then <laughs> he'll be able to uh, he'll be able to play. I would be so mad. I tell you what. O'Brien was mild compared to how mad I would have been. You've been <laughs> faking it for how long? I mean, I've been like, uh, I'm glad to know that you were faking it. Now go stand over there. <laughs> uh, I would have done just the same thing. Um, I don't care what you say about your faking it. I won those. That's on you for not playing at your at your best. That's your fault, not mine. <laughs> that's how I would assuage my conscience right there. Ah, just, there you go. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. We went a little bit uh, longer tonight, but that's okay. Um, I did want to give a brief update. Um, Star Trek, uh, all new episodes of both Strange New Worlds and uh, Discovery will be returning um, in April. So uh, be on the lookout for both of those. Yes, it will be the final season of uh, Discovery, whereas this will be the third season of Strange New Worlds. They are talking about some cameos in regards to the last season. Um, not sure who's going to be in that last season for Discovery, but um, I have a couple of ideas as to who I would want to see, so we'll talk about that next time. Um, they have also moved ahead on the Star Trek uh, Section 31 movie. The cast has been announced, being headlined, of course, by Michelle Yeoh. Uh, a bunch of other people that they listed as the cast. I didn't recognize any of them, uh, any of them, um, which I find disappointing because I had hoped that some people from like strange new world of discovery somebody would be you know in the in the show or in the movie as well um so there is that um other than that you can continue to find trek on paramount plus of course to watch all the episodes and get caught up and, and enjoy our show with us um you can listen to our episodes anywhere you happen to listen to uh podcasts as i said earlier i do it on spotify so, guys, until next week um, when we – well, actually, the week after this because next week you will get our um, first contact app. You should have that by then, and then we'll be doing our other stuff afterwards and, of course, The Expanse. Just until next time, guys, take care <laughs> of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>